We're going to be looking at the gospel lesson for this Sunday after Christmas. It's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 68 through 75. Luke 1, 68 through 75. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. The text before us this morning has historically been called the Benedictus. And that's from the practice of the early church of entitling a text of a, of a passage of scripture based on the first word in that passage. And in the Latin Bible, the first word is Benedictus, which means blessed or praise be. And so this is a song of praise. This is a song of blessing to God for what he has given to us, the great gift of his son and the great gift of salvation. In fact, I've entitled my message this morning, The Song of Salvation, and that too is an appropriate title. For this text is truly a hymn, a glorious song of praise for the salvation God has provided us through his son. It's appropriate then to consider at this time of year, In fact, in a sense, it is the song of salvation, isn't it? For it tells the story of salvation and bids us to sing along with it with joyful hearts. Now, before we consider the message of the song itself, we need to set the context. This song is from the lips of Zechariah. The song of salvation is remarkable from several points of view. First of all, It is notable here for its exuberant confidence. The praise given God for the salvation he is providing mankind is expressed in the past tense as though the Messiah had already come and already completed his work, when in fact he was not yet even born, much less a leader of men. It's the use of what is known by theologians as the prophetic perfect. It's a prophetic text. It speaks about the future. But the confidence of the writer is such that he can, he can see it as though it's already completed. It's already passed. It's already a, and this is theological speaking here, it's already a done deal. You, you remember that. Yeah, yeah good. I, I, I love the prophetic perfect. Uh, you know, speaking of something that's yet out there and being able to speak with all the confidence that the Holy Spirit might give a person to be able to recognize this as a done deal, as something God has already completed. He gives praise because he trusts that God himself will indeed bring it to pass. And so... He has no doubts whatever in his mind. Secondly, 
It's notable for its content and its context. Zechariah, the author here, was literally under the influence of the Holy Spirit when he spoke these words. The enemies to which he made reference were essentially spiritual in nature, which differed from much of the popular Jewish theology of that day. Its author, (laughs) that's another interesting one. It's from Zechariah, who hadn't spoken a word for over nine months. You realize that? He hadn't spoken a single word for the length of Elizabeth's pregnancy. An angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy um, and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel he will bring back to their Lord, their God. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel uh, Gabriel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. When his service of uh, time of service was completed, he returned home After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and from five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, note Zechariah's opening comments here in, in verse 18 of the passage I just read. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. We've tried for children until the point of it not being possible physically anymore. So how can I be sure that you'll bring this to pass? And, and it, it didn't seem to matter who this child would be or, or even what he would accomplish, what his purpose in life would be. Zechariah just can't get past the idea that I'm old and my wife's old. We can't have children. We've never been able to have children. But, as prophesied, Elizabeth got pregnant and had a child, a son. So as a punishment and also as a sign for his unbelief, Zechariah was muted, if you will. And that's, I think, maybe tough to do your priestly duties without the gift of speech. How would you like me to just stand up and 
Then the child was born. We read in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 59, On the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he's to be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would what he would like to name the child. And he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. And immediately his mouth was opened, his tongue was loosed, and he began speaking, praising God. And our text then is, is, is a record, if you will, of Zechariah's first words. Nine plus months of bottled up expression are now freed to come forth. And come forth they do. The excitement, the praise, the joy of all of these months of silence, all the things that he had, he had so desired to express now just gush forth like a geyser. And it's interesting in verses 68 through 75, our text, one long sentence in the original language. And I wonder, I know I, I've tried it. I can't get it all done in one breath. But, but I'm guessing that Zechariah got through it in about half a breath. I mean, it, I think it just poured out of him. He was so excited, so thrilled, and so happy to be able to exclaim the goodness of God, his provision. And that's interesting then. God has redeemed his people, John says. Again, he has redeemed his people. The work of redemption isn't done yet, but he sees it as though it's already completed. It is a sure thing. Now, the word redeem comes from a Greek word that is really more closely akin to our English word ransom. To redeem us, he paid the ransom. It's kind of like, you know, when when I was a kid, we used to... uh, Every once in a while, redeem gold bond stamps and S&H green stamps. Did you ever, anybody here? You young people are looking at me like, what kind of an idiot are you? <laughs> oh, I hated those stamps. Because before we, before we went, my sister Lene and I had the privilege of licking all those stamps and putting them in the books. Man, oh man, I had glue on my tongue for days. <laughs> and and to make, you know, it's kind of like adding insult to injury. We'd go and we'd go to the Redemption Center in Williston, North Dakota, and my mom would order something for the house or whatever. And Lene and I never got anything for all of our work. Still hold it against my, no, I don't. But to ransom, to ransom, that's a totally different thing, isn't it? Because to ransom, you pay a price to get someone back from kidnappers, for example. And and what, what, what we're being told here is that he, the Savior, the song about whom it is written here, who will provide salvation for us, 
He paid a ransom to get us back. And the price of that ransom was Jesus' own innocent blood. His coming to us as we celebrated this past week was to go to a cross and die for us in our place to pay the ransom for our forgiveness. And he finished the task. We don't have to look at it in a prophetic sense. We can look at it in the perfect sense, if you will. He's completed it. It is a completed task. It is a finished work. And we can celebrate that. Talks about redeeming his people. All who by the gracious gift of faith repent of their sins, trust personally in Christ as their Savior, are his people. Race, religious background means nothing. I like what Paul, or Peter says in 1 Peter 2.10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. The people of God. Singular, unique. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. Repentance and faith was the message of Zechariah's son, John the Baptizer. Throughout his ministry, he consistently preached that. His baptism was a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It was a sacramental baptism. No one was excluded from the call to repentance and faith. Neither was anyone excluded from from anything that Jesus did. It was for all men. God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So he, God, has raised up a horn of salvation for us. The horn of salvation is Jesus. But it's interesting to think about that phrase, horn of salvation. A horn in Scripture is always a symbol of strength. It is always displayed or spoke about in prominence, uh, prominent terms. Jesus is that horn. Jesus was divine. Jesus was all-powerful. And yet he humbled himself for us, even to the point of death on a cross, that he might pay to ransom us, that he might provide salvation He is a strong one to complete the task given to him. Secondly, I believe that the term horn of salvation is a reference to the horns that were found on the four corners of the Old Testament altar. These horns, as they were fastened to that altar, were there for a special purpose. If someone killed another person accidentally or whatever, they could flee to the temple. And if they could grab hold of the horns on the corner of, of, of the altar, they would be forgiven. Did you know that? There was forgiveness. In spite of guilt, in fact, grabbing on to them was a confession of guilt. And so to to hang on to them and, and personally confess your own guilt was also to believe that mercy, that salvation was available. 
and they enabled you to go on in life despite your guilt. There was forgiveness. And that's the way it is with God in the horn of salvation he raised up for us. And if we by faith cling to him, we too can be forgiven of our sins. Our guilt no longer held against us. We can go free. And I note these themes of mercy and rescue and enablement in Zechariah's song in verse uh, 72, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. Verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. When Zechariah shouted forth this song of salvation, he spoke of spiritual redemption and rescue. And if you're a believer, you can sing the same song with the same conviction and the same joy today. Can you sing it? I pray that you can. That you know Jesus and trust him as your only Savior. And then you can sing it. And you can sing it now and you can sing it for as long as you draw breath on this planet. And you can sing it for eternity as you worship the one who saved you. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as it was and always will be, world without end. Amen.